welcome back to The Cycle. Boy, am I excited this week, guys. I have a terrific guest for you, someone that may not even be on your radar yet and certainly should be. And um, this is this is just an astounding, astounding tell-all tale of the gun industry, how the gun industry radicalized American politics, and it all is documented in this fantastic book by Ryan Bussey. How do you say that? Is that Bussey? Yep, you got it. I answered okay, anything, good. but yeah, it's, it's Bussey. It's all documented in a fantastic book called Gunfight. My Battle Against the Industry That Radicalized America. And there's just really no other way to describe this than as a whistleblow book. I mean, this if you've ever wondered how in the hell we got from an NRA focused on hunter safety and gun training to one that is, um, you know, got people willing to kill others over a perceived right of um, gun ownership, then this is the book to read. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Rachel. Uh, obviously, longtime admirer of yours, um, and uh, great to be here. And yeah, I think you've properly described the book. It's my memoir. It's, I, I spent 25 years inside the firearms industry when I first got into the industry, much like our politics was 25 years ago. There were social norms. There were things that just weren't done. There were rules that weren't broken. Most of those were voluntary. And I watched as uh, the firearms industry and the NRA figured out how to sort of ratchet up our national pressure cooker to a point where we have this really dangerous, radicalized, all-or-nothing politics that has infected our entire political being. And, and um, you know, it's frightening for me. And I think I think it's set to get worse unless, you know, folks like us do something about it. So glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you, too, because, you know, one of the things I constantly am trying to get people to understand or shine light on is how little of our political problems are organic. They're almost all synthetically articulated by intentional strategy that in the short term was incredibly beneficial to the Republican Party in terms of amassing power, tapping into white um uh, fear about diversifying gender diversity, racial diversity, ethnic diversity, and um, playing on, on that fear to really drive the white working class into their camp by radicalizing this concept of gun ownership, which previous, I mean, as you just alluded to, you came into the industry 25 years ago. That's about the time period where we start to see a severe radicalization. And I used to mark um, polarization back about a decade ago when it was it was getting bad, but it was certainly not Civil War worthy by reminding people that George W. Bush, when he ran in 2000 in the Republican primary, ran on renewing the assault weapons ban. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about that weak assault weapons ban and what happened to it. But at the end of the day, that's a real mark or a demarcation, I think, between the modern GOP and the traditional Republican Party. So Ryan, your book is, I mean, it's just such a detailed and I mean, I could not stop turning the pages because I felt like I was finally behind the scenes of this um, terrible operation that I've studied as an academic and a researcher for years and years. So why don't we, because we only have about 25 minutes and uh, I don't want to get too much in the weeds. Why don't you give us an overview of what happens in the gun industry as the NRA, Republican politicians, conservative activists start to realize they have a viable and potent political weapon in guns. Yeah, so I um, again, I appreciate 
all of that insight. And I think you hit on it exactly. Again, the book is is my memoir through that time, but it's that's the narrow lens. The wider lens is exactly what you're talking about, how my existence and my life and the industry in which I worked was changing the country. And uh, I think your earlier note about this being very intentional is really square on the money. I do a lot of speaking now. And I think for the most part, a lot of people that I encounter are kind of shocked, like, my gosh, how did this happen? You know, how did we end up here? Like it was some freak accident. I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> this this is a marketing plan that is working to perfection. This is, there's nothing wrong with the system. The system is working as designed. Um, and I get, so I'll, I'll back up to 25 years ago. What happened was, is that once the NRA decided kind of, they, they sort of stumbled on this idea that if they went all in, and started and could get the nation at just one degree below boiling all the time, then this sort of unhinged anger and fear, this sort of bubbling, just like you see in a pot of water, it doesn't quite come out of the top of the pot, but it stays right there all the time. It's very volatile. Well, that can make groups of voters do irrational things, like vote for a guy with orange makeup and a bad comb over, right? Like it, it can make you do things that, you know, people often are, are very inquisitive about how, how did people get made to vote against their own self-interest? Well, you make them very fearful. You use racism. You use conspiracy theories. You say things about America's first black president that aren't true. And then when people believe that, you say something that's even more insane. You just keep going and going and going. In other words, the game is to get the pressure cooker as hot as you can get it without it blowing up. Um, the problem is now is that that's run away and we are so close to blowing up that it that it really frightens me. Um, and nothing is more powerful in doing this than guns because the sort of faux machismo, um, AR-15s. I mean, think of it this way. If you're having a dinner party, right, and you have a few of your friends over and you're waiting on the last one to show up and you're talking and having some glasses of wine, maybe some spirited conversation, it can be a little bit spirited, but everything's cool. And then the last person shows up and he's got an AR-15 with his finger near the trigger. Like that just totally upends the civility. And so that's why, in that way, the NRA and guns are doing that to our politics because nothing changes the power equation as fast as this sort of cultural connection and guns themselves. Yeah, I mean, it becomes an identity. And I think that Jonathan Metzl really documents that in his book, which was Dying of Whiteness, if anyone's interested, that's also a pod on the on the cycle they can go back and listen to too. Um, you know, where he was interviewing people who who buried family members over suicides with gun that just could not take the leap of blaming this gun, right? Like there's such a like emotional investment in this idea that guns don't kill people, people kill people. And that is an NRA interest group, think tank, you know, derived, um, you know, message that that has is, is, is been so absorbed in the culture now. People are literally dying, um, you know, from suicide and other, um, you know, not storing guns properly, letting their children access firearms because they think they need a loaded gun in the nightstand drawer at all times. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it is quite, I mean, the book goes through so many samples, and I think it's important for you and I to kind of mention, yes, the NRA has had a zenith and, a, and is now in, in a really bad spot, but the NRA, like mentality, technique, style, all of the momentum that they created, that is beyond now an organization. It is really part of a, a, a big phenomenon. Yeah, I think that, you know, the things that you mentioned... Um, suicide, gun violence, the, the terrible problems we have 
on, in the inner cities. And for me, something that frightens me even more, gun-centered radicalization that's at the heart of, you know, it was at the heart of January 6th. If, if you, I mean, if you can stomach it, go back and look at the pictures of January 6th. There's two types of flags. There's Trump and political flags, and then there's AR-15 flags, right? There's not barbecue grill flags. There's not Chevy truck flags. There's not, they're AR-15 flags. Why? Because guns and the power that they wield in the sort of all-or-nothing political equation that has been built up around the identity of guns in the NRA is at the very center of the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Proud Boys. Like every one of our worst domestic terrorism organizations, guns are at the very center of it. And so to me now, it's this is not an issue about gun policy, really. Guns are part of are an integral part of our larger fight for democracy. Exactly. And and here here's the thing. So with the AR-15 in particular, right, here's here's somebody who can take us and, and kind of take us into the boardrooms that created a market. He, what Ryan said, I cannot stress enough just now, what he talked about with those flags, it wasn't Chevy flags, it wasn't NFL, it wasn't Popeyes, okay? But there was a product represented in that crowd, one product in particular, yeah. <laughs> and that was this AR-15. So talk a little bit, take us into the book and talk a little bit about how the Republican lobby, the gun lobby, the Republican Party, the conservative movement turned this thing into, um, you know, an identity tool and how the law, how the industry helped that along. Well, so <clears throat> I think it's first important to note that um, this is a recent phenomenon. You're, you're, we're all going to run across people, sort of gun rights absolutists, who will say things or indicate like, oh, my great-grandpappy, we've had our AR-15 since, you know, eight generations, and like they say crazy things like this. That's bullshit, okay? This, as late as 2007, and I'm going to get through the history and how this happened so fast, but as late as 2007... The, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which runs the industry trade shows, the largest trade, some of the largest trade shows in the world, would not allow anything tactical, even certainly not AR-15 rifles, to be even displayed in the main parts of the trade shows. Okay, so there was a time when the industry itself, the NRA and the NSSF, understood perfectly well that this was that that, that the rifle, what it represented, what it could eventually morph into in society, was a dangerous thing to propagate. Um, in, in market in sort of inflammatory ways. Um, it wasn't that they certainly argued for the gun to be legal, which, by the way, even during the assault weapons ban, you could still buy lots of AR-15s. That, oh, that, yes. story, I mean, that's, that, that's exactly right. And it's so important to point that out because people will say, on the right especially, oh, we tried to ban assault weapons. No, they didn't. Do. They grandfathered the clause every fucking gun under the sun in that so we it's still and it still made a difference though right it's right well, well what it did what the what the assault weapons ban did it never did outlaw ar-15s it outlawed assault weapons so an ar-15 with a list of additional features yes you couldn't own it but you could buy truckloads of ar-15s you could build truckloads of ar-15s during the assault weapons ban but what the assault weapons ban did i think that was important more it it was extra legal with what, what it did it signified a societal norm that said, okay, we shouldn't propagate these things on every street corner to every 18-year-old kid in Parkland, Florida, or 19-year-old kid in Newtown, um, Connecticut. Like, there's a danger in them. In other words, responsibility, that was back in the we old times when conservatives believed in responsibility, right? Well, that's now, that those really are the good old days. Like, there's no more responsibility anymore. But, so to, to give you an idea how this happened so fast... After the assault weapons ban sunsetted, that sort of 
forget about what that did legally, because again, you could buy AR-15s before that, but it it sent the message that, okay, these are these are okay now. Companies started to make them, they started to become profitable, and the NRA realized that since they were a cultural hot button issue, they would just drive it and drive it and drive it, much like abortion issues now, or the other, or gay marriage, or trans kids, or whatever it is now, like the AR-15s were the first thing of that. Because the NRA knew that owning that owning the libs, they sensed that owning the libs could be done through just propagating AR-15s. Well, business followed that. And so the guns were always referred to as assault rifles. Um, there were people inside the industry who didn't believe they would be a good idea. And they wrote articles, I note these in the, in the book, and they were drummed out of the industry. So basically, much like Trumpism, the message was set, set through the sh- um, shooting sports industry to like, nope, we're doing this. It's important politically, and we're going to make a lot of money on it. So yeah, the, and, and anybody that steps out of line, I mean, the industry, and I think this is just so honest and raw, and I really appreciated this part of the book that you just, you don't try to hide from what happened, right? right. And you talk about Smith and Wesson, right? Like yeah. they, they get a little wary about shit and, and, and then, and, and the rest of the industry is like, ah, suckers. Right. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the, um, I, if you remember, and we all live in a world now where we have tobacco settlements, right? Where the where the tobacco industry was sued, there were settlements that changed the way they market cigarettes and all sorts of tobacco. Well, the same sort of tactics were being used against the gun industry or threatened against the gun industry in the early nineties. And that and that basically freaked out gun companies. Smith and Wesson was one of those companies, and they decided screw it, we're going to go to the federal government, the Clinton administration, and we're going to settle apart from everybody else. And they tried to, they did settle actually. And the rest of the industry, including me when I was in it, persecuted Smith and Wesson like, oh, these guys are traitors. We're going to run them out of business. We're going, Smith and Wesson sold at that time after the CEO was fired, after a boycott was established, it sold for $15 million. A few years later, the market cap for Smith and Wesson was 1.69 billion. So 15 million to 1.69 billion. But the but the message was sent very clearly to the rest of the industry. Oh shit! The NRA sets the pace. Nobody steps out of line. You lose your job. You lose your company. Whatever. And from that time on, I like to say that the, that the shooting industry and the NRA established this sort of existence where the gun industry became like a really badly gerrymandered congressional district. In other words, the incentives inside that industry and inside the politics of the gun business could only go one way. Like there's only an incentive to become Marjorie Taylor Greene, not anything else. So that's why marketing, the the marketing that we see now, um, the the man card campaign gun that was sold and used in Sandy Hook, there are guns now that are marketed that are called Urban Super Sniper. Um, There's a Wii One Tactical, a miniaturized AR-15 for little kids. Like it's just like a badly gerrymandered congressional district because it's it can only go one way, right? There's no dissent. When you have when you have an entity where there's no dissent, it's only going to get more radical, and that's what you see now. No doubt. I mean, I remember this. I mean, there's some, you know, God, but now we don't even take note, right? I mean, forty people can get shot, and it barely makes the news cycle, right? Yeah. But back in the days when we still like still, you know, I mean, all of us still care, but when we we before we became so calloused that uh, to death that it, it barely beeps on the registrar. We, we would have pinnacle moments where it looked like the industry was going to be pushed, right? The NRA was going to have to soften its rhetoric. Columbine, right after that, uh, the Newtown moment. And instead, every time, what they decided to do was double down on the politics, right? So can um, you talk a little bit about why it is so volatile 
in Republican circles now and, and where that might be headed in terms of potential political violence. I think that's both of ours main concern. We've got now uh, a very well armed Republican coalition, very amped up. And we're moving into this time period where there are elites, uh, Tucker Carlson, um, Charlie Kirk, uh, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who are willing to incite violence. Well, I think, first off, I think now the NRA set a tone many years ago to kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, like, you know, you'll never come for my guns. And if it takes civil war for me to defend them, well, then I'm going to do it. Well, at first that sounded kind of hyperbolic, but everybody at the NRA convention's kind of like, yeah, you know, they cheered. Um, yeah, I've got my gun. Well, now this kind of civil war talk, if you haven't noticed, is getting a little bit fucking dangerous, right? It's it's scar- it it's scaring yeah. me now. Scary, scary um, shit, dude. And it's like, <laughs> it's like when you set a fire... In, um, in in sort of a dry, windy environment, you don't get con- to control where it goes. And I think that's exactly what the NRA and, and, you know, radical Republicanism has done. I'm very fearful because I lived through a time when it was where there were norms, where there were where there was responsibility. And I and I graph that I put that moment on the graph. I got out of the industry in 2020 at the height of the you know all of the worst tumult societal tumult that you and I have ever lived through and also the worst and the highest gun sales time which is not an accident that that you and I have ever lived through a time that went from about 3 million guns sold per year when I started to about t- almost 25 million guns sold per year when I got out so that's like a almost a 700% increase right so um, and if you think about the societal tumult it's changed just like that right we have an infinite percentage increase in hatred and Fear. And that's not a coincidence. And so when I graph where that's all gone, I'm like, well, that's scary enough. But then I look at the direction of the graph and I'm like, holy shit, this is headed in really ugly places. Like it's going to go off the paper. Like I don't even know how high this is going to go with regards to radicalization, um, gun violence, um, this sort of domestic terrorism where people like they think that armed civil war is preferable. Um, and by armed, I mean, everybody's now very armed. We have far more guns in society than we'd have citizens. We have somewhere between 350 and 400 million guns in the United States. We have what about 330 million citizens. And so, um, where you have this system that the NRA created where hatred, fear, conspiracy theory, everything else drive sales and drive gun sales. And they also drive the same, the politics of the right wing, and now everybody's armed. I'm like, oh boy, we got gasoline, we got matches, we got all sorts of jet fuel, and it's all coming together. And it, and it scares me. Now, yeah. And what's your sense? Like with it? I mean, so like, here's the thing. I, I and I always give huge, huge props to people who have to do something like what you've done. Um, you know, Steve Schmidt and and. Um, you know, Stuart Stevens leaving the Republican Party after long, illustrious careers. You, uh, highly successful in the industry. Uh, that's your whole identity. I mean, that's your friends, your family, your social networks, and you and you burn it, you burn it, right? But I, I would assume you still have some contacts and hang out with some people still in industry. And are they starting to sense this too? Or is, there, is, is it like with Republicans in Congress where they'll admit to reporters off the record that they're terrified of their own party, but they won't tell anybody in public? Very, very rarely. And sadly, I hate to say this, there's more enlightenment and more uh, realism in Congress people and senators um, than there is in the firearms industry. There's 
there's so many true believers. Um, they have become true believers. I don't remember the old the Upton Sinclair quote, but something like, you know, a man's ability to to decipher the truth is directly proportional to to the degree to which he takes a paycheck from it. In other words, you can convince yourself of a lot of things if you're making money from something, no matter no matter how off the rails it is. So I would like to agree with you. I'd like to say there's a bunch of Mitt Romneys although I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, but you get my point. Like, at least he's principled. But there is no Liz Cheney. There is no Adam Kinzinger. There is no Mitt Romney inside the firearms industry. Um, not that I know of. It's not that I don't still have a few acquaintances and friends, but of the hundreds of people I once called friends, essentially none of them will talk to me or be, because, you know, I'm a Judas now. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, it's such a terrible personal cost to doing what you've done, right? And uh, people should keep that in mind. You know, as you're reading this book, the the raw honesty of of what happened, how, why, <laughs> what motivated you, um, you know, the way that you thought and, and everything else, I just thought was so refreshing. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, again, a personal cost that just it is just unspeakable. Most of us can't imagine being isolated and, and shunned out of the community we spend half of our lives in. But you are finding your footing as a whistleblower, as an as an advocate, a lobby, you know, not professional lobby, but a vocal lobbying, um, you know, for reform in the industry. So tell me, what are you doing with your with this book, with your advocacy? Um, how are you trying to pressure the industry from outside now? Well, um, first off, I'll, you know, one of the themes of the book is that, like, I didn't just come to this realization. I, 15 years ago or more, I, I could, I didn't know how bad it was going to get. I didn't know that Donald Trump would become president of the United States, but I could sense that the radicalized politics being driven by the gun industry was bad. And I was fighting against it then. It's not that I'm anti-gun. I'm not. I still own and use lots of guns. I like guns. But that, but to to dispense with responsibility in and around guns, that's really really dangerous. Um, now to the to your exact question, I think to where the political and policy opportunity lay, I have sensed that um, response. Finally, this is sort of the jump the shark moment for so many gun owners. Lots of moderate Republicans across the country, they hate they hate the idea that you know gun crazies, gun radicals, the gun industry might be the thing that, uh, you know, centers on the undoing of democracy. And so just a week ago, I was in Washington, D.C. I briefed dozens of senators in a closed door meeting. I'm doing lots of speaking. Um, I'm working as a policy advisor to Giffords to try to um, unravel some of the politics and some of the policies that the NRA and the gun industry have put in place. Because I, I firmly believe there's two or three you know, you and I have talked about this, Rachel, but there's two or three places where this radicalization emanates from. And again, when Democrats or progressives wring their hands all the time and they're and they're just like they seem to be flummoxed about how all of this just like plopped on top of us and gosh, what do we do about it? And like <laughs> no, holy know. smokes, it's it's just like unexplainable. <laughs> I'm like, the bullshit it is. Like you need to understand where it came from so you can undo it. It's it's scary, it's daunting. Um, it's dangerous as hell, but it's not that hard to figure out. And well, so, and Ryan, here's the here's the frustrating fucking part about it, right? Is like the shit that they did to radicalize people, we can do to unradicalize people and exactly. change gun policy, right? It's, it's like we we're afraid of saying the truth. Fucking year, we look around and we're like, gee, if only there was something to do. And like, hey, you know, how about we try that? Right. How about it's like we go 
and make people's fucking stakes to do something on guns so goddamn high in their own minds that they become radical uh, advocates for fucking reform. How about we do that? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, I'm so frustrated because so many times progressives, like there's a saying in elk hunting, and I'm an elk hunter. Um, there's a saying in elk hunting, like you hunt elk where they are, not where you want them to be. Well, so many times I see Democrats and progressives like, well, no, we want them to be over here. I'm like, well, they're not over there. You got to hunt them where they are. And, um, shit. And, and, and that's what we're just <laughs> not very good at. And so what I'm trying to do with my book and my story and the speaking I do and is, is try to tell people how to attack this, like how it got here. In other words, I'm tr if you were an elk hunter, I'm trying to tell you where the elk are. Um, right. And, and, and again, it's hard work. You know it's hard work. But it, it, it's, it's not the work of nuclear scientists. Like We can no. figure this out. It's here in front of us. All you have to do is examine how we got here. Like I think of the, the evangelical right, the gun industry, the abortion issue. Like there's a few. Like this is all working to plan for them. We, we just have to no examine doubt. the plan. No, and and here's the thing is like it's like it isn't rocket science. I mean, that's why whenever people give me a compliment, I'm like, dude, I'm not that fucking great. Okay, I'm just. I mean, this shit to me is so obvious, and I talk to people all the time who also see it. Um, it's a matter of getting past misperceptions of political behavior, public opinion, how people operate politically, how the political animal works, um, and modernizing that into the context that the Republican Party has articulated for us. Because after 20 years of this strategy and guns, the same strategy around climate and race and abortion, we have a radicalized opposition party. <laughs> and yeah. until and unless we deal with that fucking problem, we're not going to be fixing anything in terms of policy. Yeah. And I, I think, too, what I what I have found, though, is that radicalization has now created a lot of opportunity if Democrats will just seize it. And and so here's a, a very good example. <clears throat> the firearms industry I, I, I challenge anybody who listens to this podcast to go find examples of any entity in the firearms industry, including the trade groups, criticizing anybody in and around the, the, that um, invaded the Michigan Capitol, that invaded the Capitol right. on January 6th, that, you know what, you'll never find it because this is their core constituency. And so yep. the average the average citizen is not down with that. It creates a tremendous yep. opportunity. We just have to care enough to exploit it. Yeah, I'm going to sign off on the podcast this way. I mean, people are freaked out by gun radicalism, okay? Yes. <laughs> like, I, I I, can tell you from personal experience here in this new, in, in Eugene, I just moved to Eugene, and I, uh, my kid was uh, over at a kid's house. I opened the door to go pick him up, and the dude, the father, has a fucking gun strapped to his hip. It's like 3 o'clock on a sunny day. I'm like, yeah, my kid's never fucking going back into that house. Ever yeah. fucking again, okay? Yeah. And yeah. I can guarantee you suburban parents all across this country would be horrified to think about their kids on play days with shit like that, to think about, you know, uh, the Michigan governor getting kidnapped and murdered, the, you know, you got the armed militias invading state capitals. It, it, there's so much, it's, it, it makes me deeply fucking concerned when I see somebody strapped with an assault weapon walking around public, dude. It should be easily, easy to exploit that. And I, and like you, I'm not afraid of fucking guns, okay? I have owned and not owned guns. I don't own a gun now because I have a small child in my fucking house and the statistics don't fucking lie <laughs> like yeah. putting them in more danger by having a gun in the house than not right so i don't have any guns right now but i'm not afraid of guns what i'm afraid is of people who 
are so goddamn insecure, they want to walk around fully fucking armed in suburban America at three o'clock on a Wednesday. And they should, and you should be frightened of them. And we should make voters frightened of them. Like we should stop turning away from that. It's a exactly. tremendous opportunity. No, like no vote, no mom wants to worry about that. No dad wants to worry about that. And yet it, it's like Democrats think we're about, like we, we shouldn't exploit that and use that. Are you kidding me? Th- that no is the shit. that is the Republican brand, no doubt. And like and you know I I'm really working hard to give Democrats a guidebook. How do you convert this shit into Republican style messaging? How do you wedge an issue? You know it's it lucky for me the templates there. I'm just adapting it. And the nice fucking thing is I don't even have to lie. Right, the shit that I'm telling people might be a little rhetorically outlandish in in terms of the you know the rhetoric I'm using to inflame emotion, but the fact don't fucking lie right and you can fact check all of that shit and it is you know it's absolutely true we're facing a real moment in american politics and we are going into it with a uh, constituency that has been radicalized and armed to the teeth absolutely bottom line is democrats have to care enough to play to win it's that simple that's exactly or you just it, it just there is no option to lose here yeah. because to lose will be millions of lives yep yep I love it you're you're square right. on the money Ryan it was so great to have you on the pod today I can't uh, stress enough how much I urge people to get your book read this book it will absolutely change everything you understand about how politics gets to where it is it's not organic it's all strategic it's often driven by people you know who who may not seek to destroy America in the moment but take steps to maximize their own um, well-being that end up you know it ends up creating a culture that is is deadly so Ryan Thank you so much for being honest and writing this book and and telling um, America what you know. Thanks, Rachel. Love you. 